This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Thank you so much for taking your time this week to tune in to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. This week we have episode 228 entitled, The Son of God's Birth. In our previous episode, we introduced the subject of the various ways in which Jesus is called the Son of God, noting that a single New Testament author like Luke was able to justify Jesus being addressed as Son of God in three different ways at his birth, at his baptism, and at his resurrection slash ascension. Each of these three ways in which Jesus is portrayed as the Son of God deserve their own in-depth treatment. In this week's episode, we will explore the first of these three. Jesus is the Son of God due to his birth, due to the act of Jesus coming into existence. Now, birth would indicate that Son is not a title per se, but an actual designation of a male descendant of a father due to the father begetting this son. The Father, of course, is God, the only true God. And the text that we're going to examine today will make this point fairly clearly. So here's some questions I'd like to explore in this week's episode. First, how does begetting language help further define Jesus' sonship? How do the genealogies in Matthew and Luke contribute to defining Son of God as a term referring to one who is born? How does Paul, whose writings predate the New Testament Gospels, describe the birth of Jesus in terms that relate to him being called the Son of God? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is looking at Matthew's testimony to Jesus' birth as Son of God. So we'll be spending our time in Matthew chapter 1. Now I'm going to move around a little bit in Matthew chapter 1 because I think Matthew does spend some considerable passages describing the act of Jesus being born. And we're going to start in Matthew 1.18 which says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Now, there are a lot of extremely important parts of this particular passage. So we'll begin in verse 18, where it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. This word for birth in Greek is the word genesis, where we get the English word genesis. So the genesis of Jesus was as follows. And we all know what genesis means. Genesis means beginning, means creation. So the creation of Jesus was as follows. This is the point where Matthew is going to narrate how Jesus was created, how he came into existence, which means that Jesus Christ did not consciously exist at any moment prior to this point of Genesis. And of course, it says that Mary was found to be with child. She was pregnant. And the angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says that the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek actually is a little bit more specific than what our English text here is leading us to believe. So conception, the act of conceiving, is actually the act of a mother. The act of a father is the verb to beget. So a mother conceives, but a father begets. And the verb that's used here in Greek is the verb to beget. It's the verb yinao, which means to cause someone or something to come into existence. And the passive is used here. The child who has been begotten in her, indicating, of course, that it is a divine passive. God is the one who has begotten Jesus. And the act here is actually of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being the creative power of God. And so Jesus here is born. He has his genesis, his beginning. He is a child that has been brought into existence. He has been begotten. And Mary, of course, finds herself to be with child. Now, this is the conclusion of 16 verses of genealogy, which we see in the opening verses of Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 16. Now, I'm not going to read all of these because you just read a few of them and you get the flow and the sense of how they function. But the opening verse helps us to see the sort of Christology that Matthew wants us to have. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, and the son of Abraham. And so we can see that this is the genealogy, which is the accounting of the lineage and the various persons involved in the family tree, where there are various fathers and various sons and various descendants, and this ultimately ends with Jesus. And so it begins in verse 2, where Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. But the verb here that gets translated, was the father of, is this verb, a yinison, which in its lexical form is yinao, the verb which as a subject causing something to come into existence. So Abraham begat 
Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judah and his brothers. And so this verb, yanao, is used over 40 times in this particular passage, and it's also used in regard to Jesus. When you actually get down in the genealogy to where Jesus is mentioned, we can see in verse 16 where Jacob was the father of Joseph. So Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who is called the Messiah. That's Matthew 1.16. And here, more specifically, Jesus was begotten. And the passive of yanao is actually used. So it's the same verb that's been used 40 times in the genealogy to indicate that the father had a son and the father brought that son into existence by means of bearing that son and yet now it's used of Jesus in the passive indicating of course that God is the one who has begotten Jesus and so we can see here that Jesus is the son of the father because the father is the one who has brought him into existence. The family tree, of course, traces it through Mary and Joseph. But God, of course, is the one who is the actual father of Jesus. So Matthew tells us a lot. Matthew explains the fact that Jesus was brought into existence. Matthew, of course, does not believe in the conscious preexistence of the Messiah. And that is a very important point. Let's move to our second point, which is Luke's testimony to Jesus' birth as Son of God. Now, we mentioned this a little bit in last week because Luke tells a very similar set of events, but he's much more explicit with the Son of God language. Matthew doesn't actually use the term Son of God per se, but it identifies God as the Father, God as the one who brings Jesus into existence, and if God is the one who has begotten Jesus, then Jesus is the Son of God by means of the miraculous birth. So Luke is going to tell us from the perspective of Mary how Jesus is the Son of God. Matthew focuses on the perspective of Joseph. Luke shows us the perspective of Mary. So Luke chapter 1, verse 31 is where we will start. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. That's Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 35. So the angel is pretty clear. Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High in verse 32. And in verse 35, he says, for that reason, for the reason of the Holy Spirit coming upon Mary, and that's further defined as the power of the Most High 
overshadowing Mary because of this miraculous event with the creative power of God's Holy Spirit, the Holy Child who is begotten will be called the Son of God. So Jesus will be called the Son of God here specifically because of the creative act to which he is brought into existence of the Holy Spirit. So he's not Son of God for any other reason here. He's not Son of God based on some sort of pre-existent divine sonship or an eternal begetting based on the creedal language. No, according to Luke, Jesus is the Son of God because of the miracle in which Jesus is brought into existence. The verb to beget is also used in verse 35. It's wrapped up in the word child. The child who has been begotten shall be called the Son of God. And Luke, not unlike Matthew, has a genealogy. Luke's genealogy actually goes backwards. It actually begins with Jesus and works its way backwards. But unlike Matthew, to where Matthew's genealogy goes from Abraham to Jesus, Luke's genealogy goes from Jesus and goes all the way back to Abraham, but goes further than Abraham, goes all the way back to Adam, and then to Adam's creator. It goes back to God. So, in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, it begins this point of the genealogy, and it talks about Jesus in that passage. It says in Luke 3:23, when he began his ministry, Jesus himself was about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Eli, and the passage goes on, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, Melchi, Jani, Joseph, and just keeps going, 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 going. So that's Luke 3, verses 23 through 24. And you can see that, hey, in Jesus' ministry, he was 30 years old. Jesus himself was 30 years of age. There's no indication that Jesus is thousands of years old because he is some supposed pre-existent divine being, spirit being, angel, or member of the divine Godhead. No, Jesus was born, and he was around 30 years old. That's the indication that Luke wants to give to us, because Luke has been clear in verse 35 that Jesus was brought into existence, and he is the Son of God by that miraculous birth. Now, the genealogy in Luke continues to move backwards, and it moves all the way to Adam in Luke 3, verse 38. And after describing Adam, it will indicate to the readers that Adam is the son of God, Luke chapter 3, verse 38. And so that's very interesting for our study here. Adam was son of God. Why was Adam the son of God? Well, it's because God created him. God was the father of Adam. And yet Luke has already told us that Jesus is son of God precisely because of his miraculous birth. And so Luke seems to want his readers to know that Jesus is a son of God in a similar fashion to the way that Adam was son of God, because both Jesus and Adam 
were birthed without a human father because God was their father in the fullest sense of the word father. Now, you and I can call God our father because we have been adopted into God's family. We are children of God in that sense, but God was actually the father of Adam, making Adam a son of God. And God is also the father of Jesus. Thereby, Jesus is called the son of God. So we could see there that Luke is much more explicit about the son of God language in reference to Jesus to refer to the fact that he was born, to indicate that God is his father in the fullest sense of the word, and that Jesus is in line with the predecessor, Adam, who is also called Son of God. Let's move to our third and final point, which is Paul's testimony to Jesus' birth as Son of God. Paul has a few interesting passages where he talks about this, but I'm going to focus on two in particular. I'm going to look at Galatians and Romans. So the first passage is Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, where the Apostle Paul says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman and born under the law. That's Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. So Paul here says that God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So there's three particular points here that we need to discuss. So let me focus on the fact that it's God sent forth his Son. This, of course, would make Jesus the Son of God. If God sent forth his Son, then God here is described as a singular person because the word his is a singular pronoun. God is a single person. God sent forth his son, which means that God by default is the father. Now, some people have read this as a sequential accounting of events. God first sent forth Jesus. Second, Jesus was born of a woman. Third, Jesus was born under the law. This, of course, would indicate that Jesus was, in some sense, conscious prior to being born, which seems a little odd, but the sequential reading of this passage doesn't actually work because it doesn't seem quite obvious to me how someone can be born of a woman prior to being born under the law. It seems that if you are born, you're born once. And if you're born of a woman, you're born under the law at the same time. So it makes much more sense to actually read these as synonymous categories, not sequential categories. God sent forth his son, which is parallel to being born of a woman and also parallel to being born under the law. God is able to commission forth his son from the moment of his birth and not a moment prior to that. So I think it makes much more sense logically to read the sending forth of Jesus, the birthing under a woman, and the birthing under the law as synonymous categories rather than sequential categories. So we can see that God sent forth his son. His son here is the son of God, and his son is born with the strongest word for bringing a child into existence, 
the verb yunao. Paul uses that here as well, just as we saw in Matthew, and we also saw it in Luke. Jesus was begotten out of a woman and begotten under the law. Now, this phrase, born of a woman, is actually a pretty common stock phrase to describe someone who is born in the way that most people are aware of children being born. And so Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, can say that among those born of women, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's Matthew 11, verse 11. So the phrase born of a woman, of course, means birth. It means that a father has fathered this child and a mother has conceived this particular child. We can see here that that father, of course, is God. But Paul here, although identifying Jesus born of a woman, he doesn't actually mention Mary's name. So Paul seems to indicate that Jesus is the Son of God and that Jesus was actually born of a woman and born under the law. To be born under the law would just indicate that Jesus was Jewish. He was born under the law of Moses. Now, in a later publication, the book of Romans, Paul has a little bit more to say about the birth of Jesus. Galatians was almost certainly written before Romans by all available data. So the opening of Romans has some very interesting data on Paul's view of the birth of Jesus. Now, I also want to point out that these passages are pretty straightforward. They're not mentioned with strange language that we can't translate, or difficult words, or many ambiguities. When Paul gives just basic statements about the birth of Jesus, he seems to indicate that Jesus was the Son of God, and of course that God is the one that brought Jesus into existence at Jesus' birth. So let's look at the opening verses in Romans. In Romans chapter 1, I'll start in verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. That's Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. So we can see that the subject here is God. It is the gospel of God, verse 2, which he, that is God, promised beforehand through his, God's prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. And then you get to verse 3 where it says, concerning his son. Concerning God's son. So, if the son is called his son, then he is the son of of God. We can also see the singular pronoun there, his, indicating that God is a single person, indicating that God is the Father alone. Paul, is, of course, is a good Jewish Unitarian. And so we have the indication here that Paul thinks that Jesus is Son of God, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. And the phrase here indicates that Jesus is of the seed of David. He has come out of the seed of David. He is a lineal human descendant from David's royal family 
line. And so we could see that Jesus is son of God. It's based on his birth. And we could see that Jesus is a human being because he has come from the line of David. And that's the indication that Paul wants to give in some fairly basic, straightforward, unambiguous, non-convoluted language. Jesus is the Son of God. It's because of his birth. God is his father. And Jesus was the descendant of David. He has come from the seed of David. So there you have it. We have Matthew, Luke, and Paul all describing Jesus as Son of God, specifically in regard to Jesus' birth, which indicates that Jesus was brought into existence at the moment of his begetting. It means that God is the Father of Jesus in the fullest sense of the word, Father. And of course, it indicates that these authors believed that Jesus did not consciously exist prior to this act of begetting. You cannot be in existence prior to coming into existence. That's what coming into existence means. That's what the verb yinao means. So thank you so much for listening to this week's episode where we focus on how the birth of Jesus helps define the Son of God. Please join us next week as we look more closely at how Jesus is Son of God because of his baptism, which is an event in the Gospel accounts that served as the anointing ceremony for Jesus' role as Messiah, as well as the starting point for his ministry. Please look forward to our next episode. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us as we aim to promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. You can support us for free by subscribing on iTunes and YouTube, by giving us an honest review, and by sharing your favorite episodes with your friends. If you'd like to offer a monetary donation, you may check out the PayPal link that's associated with this episode. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. I'm Dustin Smith, your host. Until next time, please... Take care.